Hello, gentlemen. This is Hollywood Mac Connolly with the double biceps. It is in the contract. It is a legal requirement every single time we appear on camera, not something that I made up to show off my biceps that I've been working on the gym in the gym for 22 years and counting. And uh, definitely isn't that at all. Not a show offy thing. It has to happen every single time. It was in the fine print. Didn't quite read it in the contract. But. Uh, <laughs> Um, I did did write it into the did contract. Did write it into yeah. the contract. Uh, yeah, big giant letters. But um, uh, the co-host, co-founder, co-breather of air, co-wearer of clothes in this very room. It is, in fact, the master of disaster, the king of sting, the count of Monte Cristo, Thunderlips, the ultimate male. It is, in fact, the winner of the Dave Stockbridge of the Year Award. It is Dave, Dave Stockbridge. Stockbridge, welcome to your show. Thank you very much for that very, very warm introduction, Hollywood Matt Connolly, and always a pleasure to be here and welcome back from sunny Queensland and your time with Ryan Blue Bowen. I'm very excited to find out more about that little excursion. And uh, we have ourselves today a wonderful guest. So Deacon yeah. Law, the yeah. reigning and defending champion at the M16 Open, which is taking place here in Adelaide this weekend coming. So uh, still in Tassie, about to make his journey over in his pre in camp still is that is that correct Deacon? uh yeah i mean a bit of a deload at the moment uh just prepping for for sunday but um still training but just a little bit light just going through the motions but yeah so, so step, step us through that final week of preparations when you've got a big tournament like the m16 open what, what does that look like and how is that different to perhaps the the weeks before in the lead up so for instance like uh this week uh, Monday, I trained. I, I'd knock all my sessions back to only one one a day instead of doing two to three. Um, so Monday, I did one mat session and then my uh, strength conditioning with my strength conditioning coach. Uh, and that was a lot of, um, we did some uh, French contrast training, so a lot of explosive training um, mm -hmm. leading in. Then Tuesday, I trained just the once. Uh, Wednesday, I trained once again today, pretty light. Um, and then tomorrow I'll run for some drills and then I'll, I'll probably take Friday and Saturday off. I don't mm -hmm. like taking time off, but um, I've definitely noticed I used to train up until the night before, like a, an idiot, right? I used to train up <laughs> to the night before. And we'd be doing like like hard rounds the night before. I was like, oh, it's good to get the nerves out. But um, yeah, apparently you don't perform as well the next day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and um, how, how has your preparation changed over the years? You've been competing for some time now, is that right? Yeah, I've been competing maybe uh, eight years now, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it'd be something around that time. Um, it's definitely changed a lot. Uh, I do a fair bit now of um, like uh, meditation and visualization drills. They've helped me mm -hmm. a lot because when I first started, I, I really actually struggled with competing. Yeah, I'd get uh, extremely nervous. Um, and then I would find that even if I was say someone came into the gym, I might be able to beat them in the gym and then competition day, I, I just like, I don't know what would happen. I just fall apart really. And I think mm -hmm. it was just because I, I put too much pressure on myself. Mm -hmm. So something that's really helped a lot. I've done a lot for this camp is um, I do my breathing exercises and then I'll do a little bit of visualization for 10 minutes. And okay. I've done that in the past and it, it might sound a bit voodoo-ish, but uh, it makes a huge difference. A bit of voodoo goes a long way. And, and, and <laughs> it, who, who introduced does. that to you? You've got a, a shaman uh, there in the gym? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we've well, got a shaman. No, um, so uh, one of the coaches here, one of the guys that owns the gym, shaman. Is, um, yeah. he, he's, uh, he helped me with it the first time. And then I was actually picking uh, Rob Wilkinson's brain about it because he did it for all of uh, all of his fights, and he said it made a huge difference. He felt like when he walked out, he knew he was going to win. 
And that's been probably my biggest downfall, I would say personally, is I know I'm good at jiu-jitsu, but then when I go out to compete, I just don't, I, I never used to believe in myself. Like I go, yeah. oh, this, this guy's probably going to be me. I'll, I'll see how I go. But um, the visualizations definitely helped a lot. And just actually like, I know already uh, on Sunday that I think I can win. You know what I mean? I might not win. Anything could happen. But I literally have done the, I've visualized it over and over. So I don't see why I can't. Yeah. yeah. Somebody else that used to struggle with that, uh, Jules St. Pierre. And uh, yeah. what he used to train was uh, the ring entrance walkout. And he would he would get his uh, team to all stand in their positions, and they would put the music on, and they would walk out to the octagon and enter and stand in his position. They would bring his flag, and uh, and then they'd do that over and over and over. So he just got used to that feeling and trying to pump himself up, and so it wasn't so fearful when he would get to an arena, mm. and you know you've got twenty thousand people there all of a sudden, and you're walking out going, "Oh my god!" and you're thinking about anything else apart from the fight. So, yeah, it, it is very valuable tool to have that visualization uh, practices. Indeed, uh, and 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 uh, you. So you, who is it that's guiding you in these final weeks in the lead up to a big event like uh, the M sixteen Open? To be honest, uh, it's probably myself. <laughs> I um, I definitely like I check my uh, what I'm doing at the moment, like with my strength conditioning coach uh, Jacob at Osiris Performance, and he will like uh, he will check in on what I'm doing and make sure like it looks alright. He knows I'm I'm known for overtraining, so he'll kind of keep an eye on that. And then um, yeah, to be honest, I set my own plans. I always kind of have. My coach has always been pretty hands off, so yeah, it's like you you your own coach and. It's, it's worked so far. And, and you hands off in jujitsu. <laughs> <laughs> and and you you were mentioning uh, off air previously that uh, that you you've got a you've got a good team of people around you, which uh, obviously helps when it comes to um, uh, it, it preparing for a, a big competition uh, like this. Um, and uh, some of those people also make you cups of coffee in the background, and uh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> She can stay there. That's fine. Yeah, she can make sorry, us sorry, a cuppa as well. Yeah, yeah. No, I would be long. Sorry, Thank you. Oh, she, she, <laughs> she needs to use it. It's not a problem at all. No, no, no. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Also, uh, yeah. So, um, you, your team that you're working with, you've got a, a lot of really top level guys. Uh, that your club HTC is it? That's what it's called in in uh, Tasmania down there. Yeah, HTC. It's a uh, stands for Hybrid Training Center. So. Um, we've definitely got we've got a great team. Um, one of the head coaches and guy who originally opened hybrid training centers, uh, Priscus Foganolo. So he's like a uh, he's a black belt in judo. He's been on the Australian team. He's a black belt in jiu jitsu uh, under Vicente Cavillera, I think he pronounced his name. Um, okay. Who's a like a yeah a great Brazilian coach. Um, and Priscus is also like a well known uh, MMA fighter. And he also, he's like, he's a jack of all trades. He, uh, he does compete in strongman as well. He's just a bit of a freak, to be honest with you. Wow. Um, so, yeah, he's like he's like the the captain of the team, I guess you say. Um, and then, like, there's a bunch of other, like, really good guys. But we've also got uh, Rob Wilkinson, who just won the PFL world title. Um, just won yeah. that, about a million dollars on that. So, yeah, we definitely, we've got, like, a high level of athletes. And people don't really think, like, Tazzy – I remember rocking up to competitions in Melbourne. You go to nationals and they go, oh, where, where are you from after your match? You say, oh, Tassie. And they're like, oh, Tassie. <laughs> <laughs> they heard of jiu-jitsu, yeah. don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty much. That's, that's how they look at you, right? <laughs> wow. 
right. Are you, are you from uh, Tasmania originally? Yeah, I've, I've always been here. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I'm a bit of a homebody, so that's why I guess I, I hang out here and then I fly away for training trips. I used to try and go to Adelaide, Melbourne. I just got back from uh, America for six weeks, actually. Yeah. And, wow. And, uh, and, and how did the American trip go? It looked to be on Instagram quite successful. Yeah, it was honestly, it was great. It was, um, I got to train, uh, cause we got affiliation with the gym through, uh, Craig, uh, mm-hmm. with Adam. So we got like the Jones Jiu Jitsu affiliation. So I went and trained out at, uh, B team and that was, uh, it was, it was awesome. Wow. It was very humbling. Yeah. You think like you're okay at something until you train with the best of the best, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you're like, okay, yeah. I got a long way to go, but to be honest, it, it was great. I'm already, uh, planning the next trip. I'll be there again this year. So. Be sweet. How, how much growth do you have during those those times when you're traveling amongst the, some of the best that you, you're likely to ever come across yeah like honestly it was only six weeks but i when i came back i felt so much better yeah mm. i felt like a huge change so i can see why some people will go for three months i knew uh declan from adelaide he went for three months and when i got there they were saying how the amount of change from Declan when he first got there until when he when he left, they said he got like tremendously better. Mm. Yeah, this is some yeah. of the five people you spend the most time with, and if you're going around the world and competing with uh, the best in the world, uh, the best that you can find, uh, and then you know upping your skills in all sorts of different areas, and you know different clubs have different uh, focuses on techniques and positioning and setups, and you know you're going to be gathering knowledge from all around the world, so. And Definitely. how long have you now been, uh, I guess, uh, coaching and, and training full time? Oh, I would say it would actually only be two years, two years now. Oh. Yeah. Um, we, yeah, we opened the new gym. Yeah. It must've, it'd be two years ago. I was working in a cafe, um, making coffees and then they, <laughs> I was like, it was choosing between doing this or I got offered an electrical apprenticeship and I was like, Oh, I'll definitely go with this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah mum wasn't real impressed. So I won't lie about it. Electrical <laughs> apprentice will always be there. Jiu Jitsu is one of those yeah. things you go that That's one exactly. shot and you'll have to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. And and, uh, and and your BJJ journey, um, when did that begin for you? Uh, so it started when I was, or BJJ, I started like uh, when I was a teenager, but my martial arts started when I was five and I started doing uh, karate. Incredible. Um, yeah, I uh, did that for seven years. Realized it was a it was a waste of time. <laughs> I, I never got my headband, but uh, yeah. <laughs> but you did learn the the jumping from the the kneeling position to the stand. I position. sure did, and, and the, the wax the wax on wax off as well. That's all you need to know. <laughs> and you've mentioned in previous interviews, uh, like the one that we had just before, uh, that you, <laughs> the, uh, your grandparents they they were practicing taekwondo. Uh, taekwondo uh, practitioners yes. is that right yeah so they were both uh black belts um, Incredible. i believe wow. my pop was like a maybe a second dan um i could be wrong about that but yeah i remember wow. he had his certificates and his belt and he showed me when i was a kid when i was yeah. five i went i went to take one class my mom took me and they said i was too young and i couldn't concentrate it's like that's what kids are like you know what i mean <laughs> but uh apparently mom said i was just crying afterwards so she found a, a karate place and they they took me in yeah she, she didn't she, require she, any concentration and, at all and, and no. have you have you have you weaned them off the kicks and got them on the mat uh, your grandparents are, are they are uh, they still, still active or uh no they're they're, they're retired now no, they've they're, got um, head injuries that's like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh my, my, <laughs> anytime i come over my pop was still like he'll, he'll try and uh 
try and get me. I've noticed. Used to when I was a kid, like, I just, <laughs> I'll just be in the kitchen. Like, like, I can only imagine Christmas yeah. is at your place. Yeah, yeah he just like he would just like punch, try and like hit me with a body shot or something. But like, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's nice of him. I remember when I was a kid, he'd put me in like a headlock, and you go. Uh, I, like you go, do you know how to get out of this? Um, it was, it was wild, and like, and, and I didn't know. And then I remember after I started training jujitsu for a while, and he put me in this headlock, and I, I didn't want to say to him, but I was like, Pop, that's not how it's done. Uh, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, it's so it's yeah. so hard, and no one could ever get out of this. Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. And after the headlock, he hasn't walked much since, and no more time. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> You had to so, snap, you went too far. Yeah. So, so martial arts is uh, almost in the DNA then. Yeah, definitely. My dad, dad and uncle did Taekwondo as well. The, yeah, it was like a family thing. Wow. And 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 yeah. how do they feel about you? Uh, kind of, I guess, uh, diverging uh, away from Taekwondo and uh, and then the traditional family sport and uh, and into the, uh, the the brave new world of BJJ. Um, I mean, I think they they're pretty cool with it. Like. They, they they just like to see me doing stuff you know what i mean yeah. um and i guess they can tell like at first dad didn't i remember me and dad were talking about this the other day uh he was saying how he didn't even know what jiu-jitsu was and mm-hmm. he took me to my first tournament uh it was like a, up the other end of the state and i, I couldn't imagine what he was thinking He'd be like what the hell <laughs> <laughs> but uh, ever since he's he uh he's been my um between him and obviously my mum and girlfriend biggest supporters so yeah mm. i wouldn't be able to do it without him so, so obviously they were quite understanding when the full-time opportunity came to to train others and to uh, obviously keep yourself in in shape and and, and be able to dedicate yourself to the sports uh, full-time yeah i think at first maybe they were a little bit worried i mean as any parent would they're like oh what do you mean you're gonna start working at the gym you know what i mean yep. <laughs> um, but yeah but they realize now that like it, it's good it's a good way to make an income and it you know what happiness is number one Mm. it's like there's only me and the guys were saying the other day i was like literally live the best life you know what i mean you get up you you train some pts in the morning you do your own training you can go down for a dip at the beach and come back more pts yeah like it's living the dream and and who would have imagined just a few short years ago that you could you make pjj your 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 life your your work and uh, and incorporate it uh into an income essentially a a full-time job yeah i remember so every year I'll like write down my goals. I mean, a lot of people do that. Um, but I write down my goals. I remember like, I was like, one day I just want to be able to make a living doing jujitsu. Mm. And it's like 25 and you know, like it, I'm already doing it essentially. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, cool. So that's done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, kind yeah. of, it kind of feels like BJJ is having its karate moment at the moment where it's, mm. a, it's the population, uh, the, sorry, the popularity is exploding and, and, and uh, the mainstream's becoming familiar with it. Um, it also seems to be because it's not that striking sport, you know, the, the soccer mums don't have the same issues with sending their kids down to uh, roll on the mats as perhaps they might um, sending their kids down to a boxing gym, for instance. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um, I think uh, the parents, they're all for it because obviously, like you said, they don't need to worry about head trauma, things like that. They're also probably worried like with striking sports, their kid might become violent or something. Um, but yeah. I mean, I guess when they look at it from the outside, when they're watching the class, they just see their kid wrestling around in a pair of pajamas. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It all seems like fun until somebody's uh, ankle gets broken. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> how, how does uh, how does HTC approach leg locks? Do you have to wait until you've had a certain amount of experience before you start 
teaching them? Are they sort of restricted in practice areas or do you just have a free-for-all? Uh, no, I mean, I wouldn't say it's like a free-for-all, but, you know, like the, the white belts can do it for sure. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, that's, I mean, I'm still like making my way up the ranks, especially after going to America, you realize you're not that good. <laughs> but um, like there's levels to it, right? You know what I mean? But like I remember the first time I started winning in like say Tasmania was leg locks. And then when mm. I started winning on the national level, it was leg locks. I was mm. like, I was only a white belt, you know what I mean? I realized like you could use these things. There was a gap in the knowledge, mm. you know what I mean? I remember being a white belt and submitting purple belts and I was like, yeah, mm. you know yeah. what I mean? Like, I, sh- I shouldn't win this. Yeah. Am I actually a Gracie? It turns out it wasn't take one day over it. Everyone was doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, which leg lock were you? Uh, the toe hold, the knee bar, heel hook, all of them, calf slicer. Yeah, a bit of everything. I was like one of those uh, one of those typical grapplers that like like <laughs> my jujitsu was terrible, but I was good at leg locks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're me, took, there and i'm gonna take it home yeah it took me a while to realize you uh to like even out the game mm. it is one of those things yeah. that um as you mentioned that are other clubs that, that might have reached higher ranks but because there is a certain element of, of risk with with those techniques that you know people can get a serious injury before they tap or somebody who's inexperienced in the position can cause a serious injury um, without really knowing what, mm. what they're doing. There are a lot of clubs that do put those restrictions on there, but in a way it can be to their own detriment because as you said, if you're sitting in a white, white belt level and you're submitting people who are you know, potentially years of experience in, in the jujitsu world because they didn't get taught those fundamentals from the very start in terms of leg locks, um, yeah, it, it can be an interesting double-edged sword. It's like you want to keep your students safe, but at the same time, you're leaving them vulnerable because the people who do know those techniques now have an advantage over them. So it was uh, one of those things that um, the traditional Brazilian jiu-jitsu, it was, it was very restricted mm-hmm. with leg locks. They almost didn't train them at all because of that danger element. But then when uh, some of the American grapplers realized that, like Dean Lister and uh, you mm-hmm. know the, these people who were like, I'm going to go all in on leg locks mm. and they started just beating everybody with it. Uh, it really showed that, no, you need to train this from the start because yes. you, know, it, you do have the danger element, but once you progress, if you don't know what you're doing, you're just going to be beaten over and over and over. Mm. Oh, definitely. I definitely always encourage uh, my students to, I'll teach, uh, start with like leg lock defense first and then like even if it takes a whole class to go around the understanding of the position you know what i mean i i personally believe that and you actually said it well yourself about um it's more the person who doesn't know what they do what they're in that causes issues the good thing about an arm bar right is you extend the arm bar you know your arm's about to break the Mm. thing with heel hooks they probably don't know which way they need to turn yeah, so they're turning it. in the right. It's like they're turning into the arm, but they're extending yeah. it for them. That's essentially what you might see. Um, yeah. So we're really big on like uh, teaching the mechanics and letting all our students understand where they're safe, where they're not safe, and the proper reactions. Mm. What do you think of the fifty-fifty position? Uh, interesting. Uh, the fifty-fifty. I mean, it's probably not the most exciting thing for a spectator. <laughs> Um, but it's definitely good interestingly enough the guy i'm facing this weekend i actually lost to him on the boa super eight uh uh show to a technique from the 50 50 
Wow. Mm, he, he was he's quite he's a quite good uh, brown belt under Lachlan Giles at Absolute. Um, mm -hmm. And he was quite good at the 50 50. I remember getting there. And I actually went to attack his heel, right? But it's that double edged sword, and he caught me. Mm. Um, wow. And that, that's one of those positions where the person who's got the better knowledge will generally win. So, yeah, yeah. I would definitely uh, click, steer clear of the 50 50 this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things, isn't it, that, that you could go around the world and everyone is going to have a different style of, of attacking and setting up and defending against those positions. Some people will have a lot more emphasis against it. They might specialize in certain areas, um, you know, from a top game position. Maybe this club is everyone there is a killer from the top and then but their, their bottom game might not be as strong, but mm -hmm. then you go to somewhere else. It's the complete opposite. Some people would just leg lock focused. Others are um, restricted on leg locks. It's just, yeah, the fact that you've, you've gone and traveled a lot of the world already and said, oh, I want to know from as many people what techniques um, are out there. And then coming back, as you said, even after a six week trip to the US and you felt like you'd improved so much. No, yeah, definitely. I think the biggest thing I took away there was um, that the things that they're doing in the training room. So like a lot of the guys were extremely good wrestlers, um, extremely good wrestlers. So you're like, okay, well, I'll, I'll pull guard or I'll go from underneath. But they punish you for playing guard. Yeah. So like, and it was a weird thing because I remember seeing a video of Craig talk about it. Um, and I was like, I don't really understand what he means. I thought, guard's pretty good, you know. Mm. And then I get these guys and they're just punishing you from playing guard and you don't want to be there. Yeah. And you're just like, it just sucks. Like you're just <laughs> suffering the whole time. And then, okay, so then you, you turtle. Next thing you know, they're on their back, right? Or then you stand up. But yeah, their wrestling's great. So they just take you back down. And yeah. that's, um, ever, since I got back in December, that's all I've been working on. I was working on what I was there and working on it here. And obviously the guys here, they didn't know much about it, right? So then when I was using it, I was like, oh, <laughs> now they can feel the punishment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's one of those uh, elements that um, really gets exposed quickly in uh, mixed martial arts is that mm. somebody can be phenomenal at jujitsu, but if they don't have the wrestling credentials or the ability to take that opponent to the ground and, and use that jujitsu, they're really a fish out of water a lot of the times. And we've seen it several times with guys who are literal world champions in jujitsu and they just cannot get the fight to the ground uh, and they get knocked out or they just get completely dominated in, in clinch work or you know positions that they never really worked. It's like they've spent so many years, 20 plus years in grappling and they're, and they're phenomenal at that. But if you can't get the fight to that position to take advantage of it, you see them really struggle. Yeah, and and in training training in a gym with um, with the high profile athletes like Wilco, world champions. As a matter of fact, uh, it must be exciting to see that there's a, now a pathway in into the world of uh, mixed martial arts. But are you starting to see that that pathway open up increasingly for BJJ uh, practitioners and athletes? I think so. I think like. The way you'd hear like back in the day was like, oh, you do jiu-jitsu and then once you want to make a little bit of money or try and make some money, you go to MMA. Yeah. But these days... It's been the um, pathway, hasn't it, over over the last maybe five or so years? Mm. Yeah, but I think like these days, like especially the last year or two, you've mm. been able to see people like... Obviously, there's guys who are like a much higher level than I am. Like you got your Gordons and your Craigs and stuff. They make like a good living off doing jiu-jitsu, mm. right? Um so I don't see the point, like the need to tr transition to MMA because I feel like I could definitely just do jiu-jitsu, do what I love. And yep. like there's more and more opportunities. And who knows where the sport will be in 10 years, 
you know. And, and you was know, there a time when you did feel that pressure that, uh, to advance oh, or to perhaps monetize or to make a, a living out of the, uh, the sport you'd, we're, we're going to have to uh, move into the cage? Definitely. I remember I got back from um, just before the pandemic and I got back from the US, uh, my first trip there. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to do MMA when I get back. And then I was doing some training and I was like, you know what? This sucks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, like, someone said to me, it's one of the guys, he said, You're really good, Jujitsu. Why do you want to do MMA? And I was like, mm. Yeah, good point. You know, like, it's a bit like, I was like, Yeah, good point. I think it's just because, like, everyone who I idolized at the gym was doing MMA. I'm like, Oh, Deeks, you should do MMA. You'd be so good at it. But it's, yeah, it's just, it's a lot of work. Yeah. You know what I mean? You got to become good in every area. Mm. Um, yeah. And let alone, like, to make it to the top, like, I think anyone in MMA who makes it to the top is unreal. You've got to be good at it all. You've got to be an athlete. Yeah, it's it's a very hard sport. Well, we're living in interesting times down mm-hmm. the country where we've got uh, t- you know, two or three guys that could at any point in time be walking around with a strap over their shoulder at the highest level of the sport. Um, Wilco there in Tasmania, obviously showing the way in PFL as well and, and returning uh, this year, I believe. To, to Yeah, yeah um, I believe he's got two, another two-year contract. So he'll uh, do this year and the following year. Absolutely incredible, and I believe there's been a recent signing as well, which would be big news um, uh, in the in the Australian MMA world for the PFL as well. Um, so stay tuned to that in the in the next little while. Um, so oh, cool. if you, if you, if you, yeah, yeah, maybe even a daily combat exclusive. Who knows? Well, stay tuned. Um, <laughs> so um, so uh, so uh, Deacon, uh, do you want to? share any news with us uh, (laughs) (laughs) but you are over here uh for the uh m16 uh tournament that's the m16 open um and and the level of professionalism that we're now seeing um come into uh, bjj is kind of reflecting its popularity and so uh uh, you know you're the the guys there at m16 really looking after the athletes and giving them a taste as to what perhaps uh, the sport is likely to be in the not too distant future where it's a uh, a professional sport that um, guys um, can uh, enjoy some of the, I guess, the trappings of uh, of what elite athletes enjoy, um, like the travel and, and and accommodation being cared for, and uh, and that type of care and attention that's now uh, being um, uh, lavished upon some of the top level athletes. Oh, definitely. Uh, I was saying earlier on the first run, the um, the guys at the M16, I haven't experienced anything like that yet. You know what I mean? Mm. I've done. I've actually done quite a few shows in Australia now, and they're the only ones that have, like, they pay for your flights, they pay for your accommodation. Um, they're checking in at you, make sure you made it to your your accommodation, seeing if you need anything. Yeah, they, they really look after you. Yeah, absolutely. And and so the M16 open for people that are, uh, that, that are uh, going to travel or who are here in Adelaide, uh, where's that being held? Uh, so it's held at the Neuralonga... Neuralonga Recreation... Center? That's it. Yeah, sorry, I probably pronounced that wrong. <laughs> it's one of those things that's easier to read than say. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no longer recreation. Can you say it one more time? <laughs> the the Neuralonga. <laughs> that definitely wasn't it. Um, anyway, it's at the centre, right? On yeah, Sunday. Oh, it's, it's just in the road from Matt's place, anyway. So you're you're likely to see Matt just pop in there at some stage over the weekend and say good day. And so uh, if you if you are in Adelaide, head down to Nalunga uh, Recreation Centre. Uh, is it over the weekend or just on Saturday? Uh, just on Sunday. Sunday. Uh, just on Sunday. Yeah, I believe and- it's uh, 10, ten a.m. start. There's a bunch of high level guys. Um, 
And then one of them is uh, from Adelaide, Declan Moody. He's uh, he's extremely good, a super high-level black belt, and he's got a big match. Uh, it's actually the main event. So, yeah, definitely, if you're into jiu-jitsu, I'd definitely come and support that. And uh, so, and, and of course, you can see this man, no longer. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Deacon Law and your opponent, Deacon? I've got a match against uh, Jacob Myers Braun, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He's mm-hmm. a brown belt under Lachlan Giles at uh, Absolute uh, MMA. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a previous match uh, last year on the Bowl Soup 8. Uh, and as like I mentioned earlier, he got me with an inside heel hook from the 50-50. So it would definitely be interesting. Um, I've got a, it's going to be a good back and forth match. I think we're both at a good level that, uh, I mean, anyone could win. But, uh, yeah, I'm definitely backing myself for this one. Yeah. Well, mate, we'll look forward to seeing you here in Adelaide and uh, wishing you all the very best at the M16 Open. And, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, Deacon Law. No, thank you very much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you Mate, very we'll much. We'll look forward to having you back on when you've uh, when you've got the new title uh, and yeah, you're, yeah. you're again reigning and defending. I'll bring the uh, the double belts in. We'll be safe. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you very much, Deacon. And All thank right. you thank very you. much to everybody that continues to tune in to the Daily Combat podcast in spite of Matt and myself and are enjoying some of our, <laughs> uh, South, some, of, some of Australia's uh, best young uh, MMA BJJ uh, talent. And uh, you can see this man at the Nalunga Recreation Centre this weekend at the M16 Open. Wishing everybody down there at the M16 Open all the very, very best. And uh, we look forward to bringing you more of the Daily Combat podcast next time. Do we get a, uh, a last flex for the camera? Oh, oh yeah, he's always yeah, up for that. Oh, I don't is. know if the audience yeah. wants to see that. They do. They want to see yeah. a double. They want to see a double <laughs> pipe. Right. Here we go. Here we go. One Boom! There we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's, uh, you can see that down at the Lunga Recreation Center as well. Matt, Matt, Matt will just be standing at the front on top of the stairs. So, uh, <laughs> one of those balloon things. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, thanks again. I'll end that one there. <laughs> <laughs>